Our lesson tonight, like I said this morning, a long time ago, we started a series of lessons, and Habakkuk was no different. We actually did only one lesson uh, prior to everything that took place, and so uh, this evening we're going to pick up with Habakkuk Lesson 2, looking at chapter, really the bulk of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. Uh, Last time we covered chapter 1 and the first few verses of uh, chapter 2, but we'll pick up in verse 4 this evening. And I want to show this evening the warning the Lord gives those who have grown proud, violent, and blind to the one true God. As I mentioned before, there's a lot of similarities throughout the minor prophets. There's a lot of God warning, rebuking, allowing time for repentance, and then when those who fail to repent, uh, when those who do not repent, uh, God uh, deals with them according uh, to His will. And so uh, we find that still again in Habakkuk, but we find something a little bit different in chapter 2. While the problem is much the same, we still find some things that, go, that transpire that are a little bit different because it's dealing a lot with expansion, but here expansion uh, doing so really through uh, brute strength and uh, uh, cruelty and those types of things. We'll begin, though, in verses 4 and 5, looking at the, really the differences, as I call it here, in verses 4 and 5, the differences between the righteous and the unrighteous. We begin in verse 4 by looking at, how, looking at how the righteous are humble while the wicked are proud. Looking at Habakkuk 2 and verse 4 says, Behold the proud, he is not, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Which says a whole lot like we find in the New Testament, how the Bible tells us the just live by faith. Not a blind faith, of course, but we live by our faith that we put in God. But he compares here the unrighteous to being the, the proud whose soul is not upright in him, which means he does wickedness, he does evil. He is not one who lives by faith in God, but lives according to his own uh, desires. We find in verse 5 that as we look here, the Bible says, Indeed, we're again referring to the wicked, because he transgresses by wine. This wine here, as we're going to go through here, is not the wine we think of, but really refers to more instead of pride. Pride being what he feeds off of or drinks off of. And so he transgresses here by wine. He is a proud man, and he does not stay at home because he enlarges, because he enlarges his desire as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. And what we find here in verse 5 is this individual, instead of building at home and building, let's say, a, a noble or a good government that would stand, instead he expands his country. He says there in verse 5, he does not stay at home. He is constantly looking to expand uh, his his possession. He says because he enlarges as he enlarges his desire as hell, which means it has no end. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. Again, it has no end and it cannot be not be filled. He gathers himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. If you look at Isaiah 29 and looking at verse 9, it says here, pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. 
And again, this is the same idea we find here. They are staggering because of their pride, because of their arrogance, because of their wicked desire to, to gain more and more here, it would include land possession, among other things as well. In Isaiah 51, verse 21, the Bible says, Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. That is, again, they have strayed, and they are feeding off things that are going to cause them to... Uh, want to here in this case wanting to gain more and doing so by oppression as we'll see as we continue on here. And so we find that just as hell is never filled, so are the eyes of man never satisfied. We find that also in Proverbs 27 verse 20, hell and destruction or hell and death are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied, just like we saw there in Habakkuk uh, verse, uh, chapter 2 verse 5. We'll begin in verse 6 and the following, a series of woes upon the Chaldeans. Various woes for various, uh, woes for various reasons in verse 6 and following. We begin first by looking at uh, the woes upon them, uh, upon them because of the lust of conquest and plunder in verses 6 through 8. Looking at verse 6, the Bible says, Will not all these take up a proverb against him? and a taunting riddle against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loathes himself with many pledges. And so we find here that this is the song of those who have been conquered, those who have lost. Uh, they sing a song of displeasure towards those who took what does not belong to them, and the heavy pledges they now must bear as a result of it. As we find there in verse 6, And to him who loathes himself with many Pledges. And so now we find those who have been conquered are calling out and really calling out the abuses that have become upon them. We find in verse 7, as we look here, he says, Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you, and you will become, and you will become their booty or become uh, their plunder? So we find there in verse 7, those who are, who are oppressed will revolt against their oppressors. Will not your critters rise up suddenly? That's what he's talking about. Those who now they have oppressed, well now they're going to rise up together and come against, uh, come against them. We find looking at here at verse 8, he says here, Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. And so because they have conquered and abused so many nations, those who, who remain uh, will come up against them here in verse 8. And so again, this is the first woe, this, this woe because of their lust of conquest and plunder that really is going to come back upon them. Like all those who they have defeated are, going, are pictured as coming together and coming back against them. Looking at verse 9, we find a woe upon expansion through cruelty and godless gain. It's not woe against expansion itself, the way in which they are doing it. Looking at verse 9 and following, or verses 9 and 10 rather, says, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples, and sin against your soul. So a house to me here can be a reference to either his family, which he seeks to establish, or his nation, which he seeks to secure. And so he is uh, doing all this, he says here, which we find here through no doubt, through shamefulness, 
and through evilness. We find in verse 9, who covets evil gain for his house, which means gain that does not belong to him, and gaining it through evil ways. He says in verse 9 that he may set his nest or his house upon high, that he may elevate his family or his literal, literal house, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. So the idea seems to be they're doing this so they can try to, to secure themselves. One historian says that in effort to, for security, to secure Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, a wall was built that was 11 miles long and 85 feet thick. I never heard of a wall being that thick, but nothing's getting through it. But what happens when you build a wall like that? It also does a lot of harm to you, doesn't it? Eleven miles is a long way to cut off a lot of people. And a wall that thick is a long way to also, again, keep people out that, who you may actually benefit from having in. And so he built this wall there. Uh, while still straddling the, the Euphrates, you still had this wall built up around uh, Babylon. Looking now, at verse, uh, looking now at verse 11, we find here, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. We find here that slave labor is really what's being referenced here, as many historians uh, discuss. Slave labor built, it, or built other such securities, and this is like what we find concerning Abel. Remember Genesis 4, verse 10, how his blood cried out from the ground? Well, here it's the timbers and the, and the stones that are crying out. The, the Abel was killed. He was abused. Obviously, he was killed. But here the abused are crying out here are being pictured as the stone and the timbers they are crying out. Only, and so, again, these things are built by those who they have oppressed, they have made their, their slaves. And we saw again, Genesis 4, verse 10, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And here in similar, similar idea in Hebrews, or Habakkuk 2, and verse 11. Our third woe is a woe upon the building of cities with blood. You notice it's not expansion, it's not building of cities, but it's doing so through cruelty. Here it's doing so with blood, which means they're actually killing people in order to, to build these cities. People are dying for the sake of expansion, looking here in verses 12 through 14. In verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, Woe to him he builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity or by sin. Behold, it is not, behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts of the people's labor to feed the fire, and nations weary themselves in vain. Uh, me, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people's labor uh, to feed the fire? We find here in verses uh, 12 and 13 that those who murder and abuse and are generally cruel in order to expand their borders are being pictured here by uh, bloodshed. They're establishing it by iniquity, which means they're committing sin. And we find here they are being oppressed. And nations worry themselves in vain because what they're doing, does it matter how large a city is? No. Especially now the cost of bloodshed and sin. And we find here in verse 14, the Bible says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so there is no place where God's knowledge cannot be found in prophecy and in repayment towards those who do evil. We have seen up to this point various woes and warnings about those who are doing things in a wicked way. Again, expansion by killing people and by being oppressive. Uh, building cities by blood. And we find here, obviously in verse 14, 
that the Lord is seeing it all and the Lord is going to repay. If the knowledge of the Lord is, is all over the earth, does that mean the Lord knows what they're doing? Yes. He knows everything that they're doing. He sees all of it. And so there's nowhere they can run. And we want to keep that in mind as we continue on here because the Lord is going to repay those who have done wickedly. We find next our fourth woe. Woe on those who mistreat and degrade nations in verses 15 through 17. Looking at verse uh, 15 here, it says, Woe to him he gives drink to his neighbor. Again, not literal drink, but the idea of forcing one's will and power upon others. He is forcing him to do sinful things. And here's just picture simply as drink to his neighbor. Pressing him to your bottle is pressing him to do your will, even to make him drunk that you may look on his nakedness. They're pushing people to do evil things and to do all kinds of wickedness uh, to, do, to join them in evil so they can also commit evil together for, there in verse 15 that you may look on his nakedness and see his, his sin so they're trying to cause people to join them in verses 16 and 17 it says you are filled with shame instead of glory isn't it interesting that we have seen already they're trying to expand they're trying to build their cities and the Lord says here in verse 16 you are filled with shame because you think in expanding country or expanding nation with growing cities would be very glorious to people, but he says here in verse 16, you are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city, and all who dwell in it. And so we find their love of power, their love for power, and conquest will be their downfall. They will be exposed for their crimes, and God will punish them. He says there in verse 17, Because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city, and all who dwell in it. God is going to come upon them with wrath. And the final woe here is verses 18 through 20, looking at a woe upon idolatry. And really this, is, this sums up a lot of it because their God was, in many ways, expansion. Their God was growing larger in size, whether it be expanding their land, uh, their territory, or building large cities upwards, whatever it may be. Uh, their God was more, more, and more, right? When we look here in verse 18, God addresses idolatry in a very general way. We find here in verse 18, What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. And what the Lord is saying here in verse 18 is they're, they're, that God now, He's attacking their, their loyalty to idols, their obedience to their idols, they can do nothing. He says, what profit is the image? It means what good is it if you have to create it with your own hand, right? It's a teacher, he says here in verse 18, he calls it a teacher of lies. That the maker, the mold, trusts in it. He says, to make mute idols. Idols that cannot speak. But what good is a mute God? Well, they're not good at all. And that means also they're not a true God. And so we find here that's what the Lord is pointing out here in verse 18. Their idols, which are really in their mind, pushing them to do these things, he says, are mute. You're making them yourselves. 
In verse 19, he goes on here and says, Woe to him, he says, who would awake, and to silent stone arise. You notice he pictures them there as being asleep. Wood awake, stone arise. We don't have to wake God up, do we? We don't have to rise him up from his slumber. But yet here these idols are pictured as being, well, asleep. And if they're asleep, are they doing them any good? No. Woe to him, he says, to wood awake, to silent stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. It cannot awake because there is no breath in it. It cannot arise because there is no breath in it. It cannot teach because it does not breathe. It is nothing. But yet, doing all, during all this time, they're giving their gain, their cruelty, their evil. They're giving that credit to their idols. Looking at verse 20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. It is the Lord who is worthy of worship, and He is in His holy temple. All the earth is encouraged to be silent before Him. You think about it, their idols are already silent because they can't speak anyway. But what is speaking now are all the sinful actions of those wicked people that God pronounced woes upon them, right? You go back for just a moment, how many woes did God make upon them? We know He, he gave them five. We, he, he called a woe upon them for their conquest, for their lust of conquest and plunder. He pronounced a woe upon them for their expansion through cruelty and godless gain. He pronounced a will upon them for building cities with blood. He pronounced a will upon them for their mistreatment and degrading of nations. And he pronounced a will upon them for their idolatry. Those are warnings, aren't they? That God was going to come upon them with, no doubt, righteous judgment. Some lessons for us today. Gain by oppression is condemned by God. You can apply this to government however you want. But gain by oppression is condemned by God. Looking at back at chapter 2, looking at verse 5, he says, Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, we pointed out that was pride, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home. And he goes on to talk about how he expands, because his desire never seems to end. God condemns nations who are enlarged through cruelty and oppression. Man is to treat other men fairly and with respect, not with cruelty or with burdensome pledges, as also is mentioned here in Habakkuk chapter 2. So gain by oppression is condemned by God. And one lesson that stands out, no doubt, here towards the end of chapter 2 is that only one God has breath. When God began to talk about idols, he really, by condemning their idols, he, can, he is condemning their entire way of life. If someone mocks God, are they not mocking our entire way of life? If you attack God, you attack the way that we live. And so by God attacking their idols, their gods that have no breath, their gods are having to awaken, their gods are having to make themselves, their gods are not teaching them anything. Their gods are not speaking at all. Their gods that have no breath. 
by him attacking them, he is condemning their entire way of life. And all he does that, as we find it here in chapter 2 towards the end, as just as he has done it throughout the entire chapter of pronouncing woes after woes upon them. Only one God has breath. Habakkuk 2, verses 19 and 20. Woe to him who says the wood awake. The silent stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord, notice the difference, but the Lord, in contrast to these worthless idols, the Lord is in his holy temple. An idol has no holy temple. He says that all the earth keeps silence before him. What good would it do for people to be silent before their idols? They want to hear anything. To be silent between a non to be silent before a non-existent God, you would only have silence. But when you're silent before the one true God, it means that we are listening and ready to follow His every command. Because unlike the false gods that have no breath, our God most certainly does. The Bible tells us literally that He breathes out the Word of God. He has breathed out the Word of God for us. That's literally what the word inspired means. He has breathed those things out. We found there, as Paul mentions to Timothy, we should be reminded to treat one another with respect, love, and care. It's interesting how this is so similar in many ways to what we talked about this morning. But we hear, see here in Habakkuk 2, we find the same problems, right? Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 5. Habakkuk talks about it here all the way back in the Old Testament time. Treatment of people is so very important. God is the only one who can deliver us from any oppressor. So let us keep our faith in Him and nowhere else. These individuals in Habakkuk 1 and 2, as we're going to talk about more next, uh, next time, which is two weeks from today, they're, they're going to find be reminded very quickly that their only hope is in God. But we want to make sure that we don't wait, that we don't procrastinate when it comes to making ourselves right with God. That we look upon His Word and we make sure that we are living up to it. So when we think about these things this evening, we think about the treatment of others and the oppression we have seen mentioned here in the back, and we want to make sure that we're not guilty of similar things. We may not be trying to expand a nation, but sometimes we can mistreat others for our own selfish gain. And that's something that we must avoid. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. Okay, we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>